Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with the legendary crime writer, Lawrence Block. His latest book is The Girl with the Deep Blue Eyes from Hard Case Crime, and it's being released today, September 22nd. Lawrence, welcome. Good to be here, Steve. It is an absolute thrill for me to chat with you. Uh, I, I don't want to imply that, that you're older than me, because very few people are older than me, but I've been reading your books uh, for a long, long time. And a few years ago, I was saddened by the news that you were retiring. And, you know, maybe you were going to write some more short fiction, but there weren't going to be any more novels. I, I take it that didn't set well with you. No, it just didn't work out. You know, I've, I've, I've screwed up retirement beyond recognition. <laughs> so now you're back. This is, since you retired, is this the second novel or have there been more? Well, I, I never retired. I just said that I, I, it seemed likely to me that I wouldn't be writing any more novels. Uh-huh. And there have been a couple since then. <laughs> Well, let's talk about The Girl with the Deep Blue Eyes. Would you mind giving listeners uh, sort of the, the story setup, and, the, and then we'll talk a little bit about the book? Sure. The, uh, the protagonist is a fellow named Doak Miller, an ex-NYPD cop who has retired, taken his pension, and has retired to a small town in uh, rural central Florida. And he's... Uh, doing he he picked up a a local pi license down there and he's doing a certain amount of work and the book begins with him being enlisted by the sheriff of Gallatin County to um, essentially uh pull off a, a sting on a woman who evidently wants to hire a hitman to kill her husband so he poses as the hitman and that's really uh, the setup, and they meet, and things don't go quite the way the local sheriff had in mind. I, I've heard this described as Florida noir. Is that fair? Well, it's noir. Uh, it's certainly a, a dark book, um, uh, and it is set in Florida. I, I think uh, uh, my... Hollywood agent had the best one-liner about it, I think. He said it's James M. Kane on Viagra. <laughs> that is good. That is good. And for people listening, if you're a fan of cozy mysteries and if you only read cozy mysteries, this is probably not for you because uh, when he said James Kane on Viagra, uh, there's a great deal of sexual content in the book. And it's the kind of thing that if you had written this 30 years ago, probably wouldn't have been published. No, it couldn't have been published like, uh, like this. Uh, that, um, well, 40 years ago, it couldn't have. I don't know uh, what uh, standards were like 30 years ago. Hard case crime books. This is You've had a number of books published through them. Some have been re-released and some have been originals. This is obviously an original. What's, what's the relationship between you and Hard Case? Are they just one of your many publishers? Well, I've published uh, with a lot of different people over, over the years. Um, I'm certainly very friendly with uh, Charles Ardai, the head of uh, Hard Case Crime, and regard him as a, a, an extremely sympathetic reader and, and editor. 
Yes, and with uh, this book, it was uh, clear to me that that was the, the place to publish it. It, it does indeed uh, have roots in the whole uh, tradition of uh, oh, of James M. Cain and Charles Williams and uh, and any number of uh, people who wrote for gold medal books in the fifties. Say, and, and this it's one of the really cool things that that they're doing with uh, hard case crime is is the idea of not only bringing back some of the books that were written back in the day, but but allowing people to write in that style uh, like this, and and you have written over the course of, of your career, it, it, as I mentioned, it's a lot of books and in a lot of different styles. Uh, the Bernie Rodenbar books, uh, for example, would be much different than uh, books about an assassin or. I mean, you know, there are so many, but in, in, in some cases you write humor, in some cases you write really hard-boiled. Uh, when you sit down to write, do you have any sense of what it's going to be, or do you just take off? Oh, well, sure. I usually have a, a pretty good idea of what, what book I'm going to write when I, when I uh, begin. I may not know how it'll turn out or what it'll develop or... Um, with who some of the characters will turn out to be. So I uh, I like to let that uh, happen on the page, as it were, or on the screen, if you prefer. When you wrote the first Bernie Rodenbar book, for example, that's that's a very specific kind of a book. Bernie is a unique character. He owned a bookstore. He was a thief. He's kind of a smart guy and kind of a bumbler. Uh, so was he fully formed in your mind when you started writing, or did he just evolve through the course of the book? Um, he was pretty much fully formed, in, in, uh, though I didn't—I don't know that I knew it at the time. When I started writing the, the book, I knew what the premise of Burglars Can't Be Choosers w- would be, that a, a, a career burglar uh, finds himself in— uh, burgling an apartment in which somebody has been murdered and has to solve the crime to clear himself. And I knew that what I didn't know until I was a few pages in was that it was going to be light and funny. Mm-hmm. But that, that just happened. Bernie was just there, and uh, and his, his dialogue, uh, I, I looked down at the page and I thought, this is coming out funny. And I decided just to let it do what it wanted to do. Because the the essential, the essential situation could have been uh, grim rather than funny, certainly. Oh, uh, of course it could have. And and you yeah. built this this world around him, these characters um, that just added so much. So and and they all, I'm, I'm, it's been a while since I've read most of them. It's been a while since I wrote most of them. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but but were they all were were they all there from the beginning? For the most part? Oh, no. No, no. Uh, in fact, uh, it, the series didn't really define itself until the third book, The Burglar Who Liked to Quote Kipling. That's the uh, book in which he has the bookstore for the first time, and he has Carolyn Kaiser as a best friend for mm-hmm. the first time. So, so that was really when the series found itself in that respect. The, other, the first two books worked fine and all that, and... Bernie was Bernie in them, but the uh, uh, the whole uh, background and and 
<clears throat> and and furnishings of the series didn't happen until the third book. Now, a, a lot of people know you under your own name, obviously, but you, you wrote under several pseudonyms as well. Um, why was that? Oh, I... Sometimes I think it was just a determination on my part to avoid building a following. <laughs> I'm assuming you're saying that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, though, in in uh, retrospect, looking back, at it, it certainly managed to achieve that end uh, superbly. <laughs> but no, I uh, I wrote I wrote under various names. First of all, in the in the very beginning when I was uh, writing, I did a lot of what we've come to call now to call uh, mid-century erotica, mm -hmm. which were um, oh spicy uh, paperback novels. And those I I didn't know anybody. The only person I have ever known who did those under his own name was Charles Williford. Uh, but uh, a wonderful man, a wonderful writer, and a guy who just uh, didn't give the southern half of a northbound rat what anybody thought about anything. But uh, outside of uh, outside of Charles, uh, all of us who did this uh, wrote under pen names. I did not know that Charles had done that. I've read a lot of his work, but obviously I, I skipped over the uh, mid-century erotica. You know, he, he certainly wrote books that were published by... Uh, by the the publishers who were doing that, you know, I don't know whether he thought of them. I don't know how he thought of them, but anyway, he put his own name on them and was pleased to. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, in in May, you published a book called "The Crimes of Our Life" or "The Crime of Our Life." I may have, I, I think I've got the gist of it right, but it was uh, basically you wrote about different crime writers, and I can you tell us a little bit about that and why you did it. Sure. The Crime of Our Lives is uh, a collection of pieces that I'd written over the years, and uh, pieces about various crime writers. Uh, some of them are critical pieces. Some are memoirs uh, of mine of uh, writers I've been friendly with over the years. And uh, and other, one is uh, an overview of uh, the genre uh, there were various pieces that were written that appeared in various magazines over the years, and I thought um, I would like to give them a certain amount of permanence and uh, and bind them all together and um, throw them out uh, for the world to to see. Who are some of your favorites in in the crime? Let's say the hard hard boiled crime genres. Well, um, there are any number. Um, there are a lot of. Uh, People who got to it early on, whom one can still respect and enjoy all these years later, mm -hmm. like Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, Ross McDonald, James M. Cain. Um, and there are people I've had the, the great pleasure of, of knowing, like Donald Westlake and Ross Thomas and Evan Hunter and Henry Cain and a batch of others. Is this a great time to be a writer? Well, it's an interesting time to be a writer. <laughs> it, it's a time when uh, the publishing industry is in such a state of flux that anybody who tells you he knows what it's going to be like in six months is mm -hmm. talking through his hat. It's a time when anyone who 
wants to can publish his own work and uh, and reach whatever audience is there for him. Um, it's it's pretty interesting time, certainly. It's an interesting time to be a person. It is, and it's it's a it's a fantastic time to be a reader uh, because all. At least for me, all of these books, I mean, you're, you're mentioning books written decades ago, but they're still available. I don't have to go to the library and hope that they have it. I can go to a, an, an electronic bookstore and pick up copies of those books and, and begin reading them uh, as though they were published yesterday. So it, it's, it's given new life to I don't know, people like you that have written tons of books. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, it's uh, broadened the, the the whole world of writing and reading enormously. It's um, and in a sense, it's just a, an echo of what it seems to me has been happening uh, in all spheres. For example, uh, uh, eBay has created a meeting place for buyers and sellers that's extraordinary. It used to be that uh, one fellow would would have something and want to sell it. Another fellow would be looking all over for it, and they'd never find each other. Now they can find each other in 20 seconds. Yes. Uh, Do you have an opinion on the angst that's so prevalent in in publishing right now on, you know, whether you're an independent publisher or you're you're published, you you work for a big five publisher or you're published by a big five publisher or you self-publish, there seems to be an almost a political division amongst people. You're a person who's been publishing books for decades. Do you have any thoughts on, on the division that's out there right now? Well, I think uh, a lot of people in the business are fr- are frightened, and not necessarily without cause. Um, and I I think uh, I think that's uh, influencing any number of things. There was just a piece a piece that just broke today, I think, in in Publishers Weekly, that a very successful writer of juvenile fiction. Um, whose name I seem to have forgotten, but but uh, uh, has just decided to form her own publishing company and publish her own books because her editors asked for changes she was uh, unwilling to make, and she said, decided, the hell with this nonsense, I can do it myself. Now, I would dare say that 10 years ago, it would never have occurred to her to take that step. And... Ten years from now, she may look back on it and say I was crazy, or she may look back on it and say it was it was the best thing I I ever did. Absolutely, and we we can't know at this point which it'll be. And that's what makes it so interesting. And mm-hmm. it, it is it's fun. It's a great time for readers. I can understand that there's a great deal of angst in the writing community. Um, as as someone who has always published a lot of books, were you ever throttled in terms of the, the number of books that publishers wanted you to write in a given year or to publish in a given year? How do you mean that? that uh... Uh, did they ever say, oh, I, you know, you can't do more than a book a year? No, it's just, no, it's one too ever, much. no one ever said that to me. Were you ever encouraged to write? I, I see a lot of big-name authors now who I I get a sense are writing, publishing more books than they want to in a given year. And, and, and I, my sense is 
that they're being pressured by the publisher to, to keep their name out there. And so where once it was one book a year, now it's it might be two or even three. Yes, I see that. And I do know that uh, some writers um, respond to that kind of pressure by doing what they're asked to do. Um, I've always been, Steve, I've always been such a contrary son of a bitch that, um, <laughs> you know, that that doesn't work. I, I tend to do what I feel like doing. And I don't understand why everybody doesn't, to tell you the truth. Listeners may not know this, but you, you have a book that's being published today. That means you probably finished it a year or so ago. Uh, so you've probably been working on something else unless you've gone back into retirement again. What are you, what are you currently working on? Nothing right now. Um, I have uh, a couple of things I've been uh, working on, uh, putting together an anthology, uh, getting writers to write stories, original stories for an anthology on a theme, which I can't go into detail about because we don't have a deal yet. Okay. I'm about to get to work on an updating of a book of mine called Writing the Novel from Plot to Print, which has been had been in print oh, <clears throat> without interruption since 1979, but needs uh, needs a lot of updating, and I've decided to bite the bullet and spend uh, the better part of a month working on that. And I just just recently finished a short story, and I suspect there'll be another book somewhere along the line. There just usually seems to be sooner or later. I'm curious about uh, the updating of your, your book on, on writing. Uh, what's ha, Have things changed so dramatically um, that, that you really feel compelled to do this? Yes. Yes, things, things have changed. What, what makes a story work uh, hasn't changed that much. But certainly, uh, everything about the the publishing world has. Okay. And okay. Uh, and uh, and the, the whole existence of ebooks, everything uh, is is new and different. And the book should reflect this. Well, this has been an absolute thrill. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I, I'm assuming that the book, The Girl with the Deep Blue Eyes, is available everywhere uh, beginning today, September 22nd, right? Yes, indeed. And people can learn more about you on your website, which is lawrenceblock.com. Very clever. And I, I noticed you've got an email list on there. I've signed up for your email list, so people can do that as well. Is there any place else that, that, that you like readers to connect with you? Oh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm not hard to find. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's, it's been an absolute honor, and uh, I loved the book, and I, I look forward to more from you. I'm, I'm glad the uh, reports of your retirement were inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, and I had a good time, Steve. Thanks a lot. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for the email list. I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like The Girl with the Deep Blue Eyes from Lawrence Block. Thanks for listening.